0: I trust in
1: you. Greetings, Saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. Thank you, Father, so much for your goodness to your people. Thank you for the rebuilding of the kingdom. We know, Lord, that your judgments are righteous and that it'll cause a great revival, so we. We put our trust in you, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, this is going to be great earthquakes and tsunamis, number three. And I'm going to start with a prophecy given to Miss Sophie, May 28, 2018, called Judgment on the House of God. Yep, that's where it has to begin, right? My daughter, my child, write these words down for me. The time has come now for judgment on the house of God. As I sit on my heavenly throne and look down, I see all the things being done in secret. You men on pulpits and stages, you call yourselves pastors and preachers, yet I did not send you. Some of you have even read warnings that I have given, yet you have not turned from your ways. Mammon is what you refuse to give up for truth. You comfort your followers with a false gospel, compromising my word and fleecing the flock. You are no shepherds but fools. Do you think I do not know? what is said and done in secret? Do you think I cannot strip you naked and take away all of your prosperity with just one whisper? It is time now for me to visit with each one of you in ways that will put fear into your hearts. I will drop you to your knees to repent before me. If you refuse and continue to rebel, You will burn with all those before you that fleeced my flock, stole from me, sold wares, and used my house as a marketplace. You lukewarm, mammon-loving wolves have lived deliciously over the years as my poor got poorer and as the orphan received no help from you and as the homeless was forgotten. Instead, you bought fancy homes, cars, taking care of yourselves and your family while the stranger visited your den and gave their last dime to you. My house was to be a house of prayer, not a house of entertainment, selling books, CDs, trinkets, wolves, You are not mine. You work for your father, the devil, the master of lies. You are the Pharisees of the modern era, teaching doctrines of devils, imparting spirits from the underworld into my children, telling them it is my Holy Spirit. Liars, thieves, adulterers is all you are. Are you ready for my visit? I will catch you unaware. Many of you will perish very soon. Some of you started off well with me, but you too have sold your souls to the papacy. I believe this means uh, as the mother of the harlot churches, right? Because that's what they turned out to be. Continuing. Pastors, preachers, evangelicals following after the false prophet following his laws and not those that I had ordained from the beginning of time, the beginning of creation. There are very, very few that are still with me, very, very few that have never compromised to appease the masses. These I will protect if they are walking in my will, as well as staying in my will, in their personal lives, This is not the time to walk off your posts or be swayed in a different direction. Stay close to me, as I am the way and will lead you. I will be with you, instructing you, feed my sheep and stay in me. To my children, those who go to these dens of thieves and give your hard-earned earnings to, get out now. If you continue following them, you'll end up forfeiting salvation by staying in your lukewarm apathy. If you believe the lies of these men and women who have fleeced you for years, then you too will be thrown into the depths of hell and fire. You too, children, have read warnings and are refusing to come out of her, choosing to burn with her there will be no excuse you can give me give to me as you stand before me when i say depart from me i never knew you many of you refuse to give up traditions of men your trick or treat your false jesus holidays you continue to put my son next to idols my son is the light of the world AND HE WOULD NEVER COMPROMISE AND PLACE HIMSELF AMONGST YOUR IDOLS, NOR WOULD I HAVE PLACED HIM THERE. Ashtoreth, NIMROD, AND ALL THE MULTITUDE OF OTHER GODS YOU FOLLOW, SAYING THAT YOU ARE FOLLOWING ME. CHILDREN, THESE ARE NOT OF ME, NOR HAVE THEY EVER BEEN OF ME. THESE ARE ALL MAN-MADE TRADITIONS THAT MY CHILDREN ARE NOT TO FOLLOW. Stop following Rome and the ways of Rome. The house of God has become a house of spiritual adultery, an adulterous house, a wicked house, promoting abominations to me. Witchcraft abounds, and the kundalini spirit will take you down to a great fall. Deceiving spirits run these churches with lying spirits. Jezebel has taken over. I am is about to tear these down, and will you go down with her, or will you come out of her and repent before me? The choice is yours. Where is sin being preached in these houses? Where is the true cry of a person's heart in mourning? Where is the contrite heart where is the holiness? Where is the true worship and praise, unlike your circus acts? Where is the humble man, woman, and child? I see proud, arrogant, boisterous men and women saying, God wants me happy. He must bless me. He must prosper me. Here, He is here to do my will. Where is the one crying out in the wilderness? Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Where is my spirit in you? My spirit is not in you if you are continuing in willful sin and living against my commands. Be ye holy, for I am holy, is a thing of the past. Let us live in the new age. Let us live as we wish, loving our sins. Yes, children, go right ahead, live as you wish, live in your filth, and you will perish in all of your sins. Garments that are filthy, do not enter my kingdom. Washed in the blood means you must separate yourself from the filth that you are in. Yes, you are filthy before my eyes, yet you think that you are clean. You must be continually washed by my blood. Only your past sins have been forgiven you. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that sanctifies you. This is a daily walk. You have made it a one-time event. Those who walk with me know this difficult road. They are not lazy. They come before me, seeking my face, asking to be cleansed daily reading my word, worshiping and praising me, they know only I can purge and purify. Only I can heal their broken heart. Only I can restore them to wholeness. It takes a lifetime of devotion to me, a commitment to follow me, no matter what the cost. Narrow is the way that leads to everlasting life, and these I will lead home. Much joy awaits those who gave up everything for me, for they will reign with me forever. These are my children, and I am their God. You cannot be lukewarm and expect any heavenly rewards. Does my word not say, I'd rather you be hot or cold than lukewarm? For these I will spew out of my mouth like vomit. You make no effort to change, to seek, to have a true relationship with me. You live to please your friends and pastors and preachers. Where is this life devoted to me? Yes, I will hold all of you pastors, preachers, evangelists, teachers that have fed my sheep this compromised word guilty. Every soul that goes to hell will be on your head. You too will burn. Now, children, you are also held responsible for everyone that you have brought to these vultures, saying that they are true men and women of God. Come, hear this wonderful, lukewarm gospel. It will make us happy. You were to open the Bible, to seek me, to learn. Instead, you believed every lie of prosperity, of there is no sin in us now. Of as long as we are good people, we will go to heaven. Of there is no hell. Of every lie, there is no need to fear me. Of every lie, that I am has only one side, love. And that I am not a just God, a God of judgment. I say to all, get out, get out, get out you are all in danger of hellfire no more watered down preachy preach gospel to make you feel good my word has not to, was not to make you feel good it was to teach you who i am and to keep you on the righteous path blessed are those who hunger and thirst for my true word i was there at creation i am your creator All those in ancient days knew to follow and obey me. Those that decided later to go their own way perished and burned to this day. Obedience is not a suggestion, but a requirement. Obey my commands and live, disobey and perish. It is time to purge these houses of filth, of liars, of thieves, of abominations, of wickedness, of adulterers. Be ye ready, for I am coming with a fury against you. Enough is enough. Your kingdoms you built for yourselves are about to fall. Your bare nakedness for all to see. All will see I have been weighing all my houses, and most of you have been found wanting. The scales tipped against you. This year is the year of changes, destruction, the year of sorrows, along with next year. Purging will continue until I take out the evil, the garbage. You will see many fall as I clean house. Repent, I say, for your days are numbered and coming to a close. I am that I am. And will always be the great I am. No more will you profane my house. And this was given to Miss Sophie on 527, 18. Where it says Israel, uh, put America there. Apply it to America. The word of the Lord came to me Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, To the shepherds, this is what the sovereign Lord says Woe to the shepherds of Israel, uh, in other words, America, who have been feeding themselves. Should not shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the choice animals, but you do not feed the sheep. You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the lost, but with force and harshness you have ruled over them. They were scattered because they had no shepherd, and they became food for every wild beast. My sheep wandered over all the mountains, and on every high hill my sheep were scattered over the entire face of the earth, with no one looking or searching for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As sure as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, my sheep have become prey and have become food for all the wild beasts. There was no shepherd. And my shepherds did not search for my flock, but fed themselves and did not feed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Look, I am against the shepherds, and I will demand my sheep from their hand. I will no longer let them be shepherds. The shepherds will not feed themselves any more and I will rescue my sheep from their mouth so that they will no longer be food for them. Matthew seven fifteen 15-18 Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Matthew 21 and 13. And said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Jude 1, 22 and 23. And on some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Second Corinthians 6, 16 to 18. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you, and you shall be uh, my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And Revelation 18 and 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues. 1 John 2 and 3, Hereby we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. John 5 and 10, If you keep my commandments, You shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Proverbs 7, 1-3 My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live, and my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers and write them on the tablet of your heart. Well, amen, judgment must begin at the house of God, and so it will. So I want to share this revelation with uh, uh, my thoughts. It's uh, called Kicking the Can Dream. It was given to Dana Coverstone on February the 23rd, 2024. When I had this dream, it had a sense of finality. Well, let me say that the wilderness tribulation is about to start because of these judgments. It is a sense of finality. This dream lasted over a two-month time period, and the pieces were not always necessarily in sequence but they fit together during the week of February the 11th. Hmm. I was walking down the road where I grew up as a kid. I walked off my porch and I grabbed a steel can, which was like a vegetable can, and it appeared to be a spinach can from the 1960s because it had a paper wrapper around it. It wasn't glued or painted on. It reminded me of an old 60s-style can, and it had a picture of spinach on it. Well, the cartoon character Popeye, the sailor man, ate spinach from a can like this, making his naturally skinny body beef up with huge muscles, making him strong to fight the bullies. And uh, if we Christians would eat the food of the Word, which is healthy for eternal life, we would bear the fruit of Christ. So I started walking down the road in the town where I grew up in Jason, Indiana, on South Meridian Street. From where I lived, I could see a mile and two tenths up the road at night and see the spotlight, the stoplight. I'm walking towards that stoplight kicking the can down the road. Over the distance that I was kicking the can, I was getting older. Well, kicking the can down the road represents putting off things that we should do today into the future. That's an old saying, kicking the can down the road. I was probably about eight or nine years old in the beginning walking down the road. As I walked, I was growing and getting older. I was getting older and grayer and losing hair. Well, we're running out of time to partake of the spinach of the world, of the word, excuse me. Uh, you can't save up uh, the manna for another day. As we know, it uh, breeds worms and you just don't get it. You've missed it. You missed your chance. They had to take a day's manna every day, right? Okay. Okay. I kicked the can down the road as far as I could, and I reached the end of the road. I was standing facing an obvious drop-off. There was nowhere further I could go, and there was like a cliff, and I could see the other side. In other words, time is up. Make your choice to become a disciple of Christ or else. There's judgment just ahead. Now, the man that I see in my dreams was standing with his back towards me. I suspect this is Jesus. And he turned and faced me, and he gently tapped his shepherd's staff onto the right side of his head. And then he pointed at me. In other words, pay attention. Judgment is coming. Get on the right side in your mind and repent. Next, I was in my car about to cross the Cumberland River on Highway 90 here in Burksville, Kentucky. As I cleared the bridge and headed into town, I saw this swarm of what appeared to be locusts. Well, the northern army of Joel, too, was likened to a cloud of locusts devouring the crops that represented God's apostate people. This happened until they reached the righteous bride, Jerusalem. That's where they were fasting, and the uh, that's where the bride and the groom were revealed, Um. Uh, and then God judged them, killing 185,000 of the Assyrian army's mighty men in that night. This attack on the bride city was preceded by an earthquake in verse 10. And when the army was smitten, God brought the latter rain revival, according to Ezekiel uh, excuse me, Ecclesiastes 1 and 9, history must repeat. So we are going to see this again. We are seeing this again. We've had many dreams and visions about these locusts and about the Assyrian army and so on, how its uh, inability to take down the bride but was capable of taking down the rest of what was would be called today the church. So they came up and they hit my car as I slowed to a stop and they smeared my car with their wings. Uh, their, their broken wings represent their inability to continue their evil works. They were smitten in Joel chapter 2. And their blood. So the car was smeared with their blood and that's their own blood. After they had passed by, I pulled over and got out of my car and surveyed the mess. I opened up my trunk, and it was full of boxes of rags. And what's significant about this is a couple of months ago, a guy visited my church on Sunday morning from Missouri, and he had printed some shop rags for the ministry that he was doing. He told me that his... uh, trunk was full of boxes of rags so I said okay God uh, there's something about these rags I need to pay attention to I began to wipe the mess off of my car with these clean rags and then I did something I would never do in the natural I threw the rags on the ground I'd used five of them Well, five, as we know, represents grace, and it will wipe them out. It will wipe the enemies out. When they reach a righteous bride, they will get wiped out. And then I continued to drive through the center of town when I saw another swarm, but this swarm was bats. Well, we know bats are clothed in black, Representing their dark works, um, these are the leftist, anarchists, the Islamists, the Chinese, the Mexicans, and all those who have come in to fight for the deep state and uh, which is basically the dragon and um, uh, and the Satanists, and uh, and they live in darkness, and they have no eyes to see. So that pretty well identifies them. I stopped my car again and I felt the bats hit my car with intent to the point that the windows were cracking where they hit. They were denting the wipers and my hood, and after a few minutes, that swarm of bats flew off. I got out of my car and realized that my car was not the only thing damaged. Buildings had broken windows and there were dead bats on the ground. Um, Well, let me just say that I believe the anarchists uh, love to break glass for some reason. It's just a big thing with them. And uh, the Alliance is expecting them uh, to do this, and they believe that their military will take them down. There's no doubt in my mind that they will do some real damage to these bats. The blood of the bats and their body parts were strung over the streets and on the vehicles, and the people were coming out of businesses and looking around and trying to figure out what they just had just seen and what had just happened. Yeah, they liked it. They like to come against businesses and destroy businesses and, and et cetera, et cetera. I opened my trunk, I grabbed a handful of rags and began wiping the windows down so that I could see. It took me much longer to wipe off this mess and I used uh, ten of these rags and once again, after I wiped the car, I would just throw them on the ground. I left them on the ground. Well, the, the blood of the unclean and defiled is on them, Uh, 10 is the number of law which they broke, they're lawless, as we know the deep state is lawless, they do whatever they want, whenever they want, to whoever they want, right, and of course the people they're hiring, you know, to come in and make war against us are lawless too. I inventoried the remaining boxes in the trunk. I was making note of it, so if anything else happens, I've got rags, and it seems that there were at least a 100 rags left in my trunk. I think a 100% here probably represents the fullness of the ability to wipe them out. Uh, I got back into the car and headed down the road. I approached the stoplight, just like here at Brooksville. It was red, and I stopped. I could see a much larger and more sinister cloud of, or swarm of something headed my way. It covered the entire sky, and it was headed towards me at a high rate of speed. I turned my car around quickly. I did a donut, turning my wheel and headed back towards my house, going at a high rate of speed, but I could see the swarm following me and getting closer as I went. I finally got to my house, and I ran inside, and just as I shut the door, I could hear banging like something was hitting the door from the outside. And the wind began to howl. It picked up to the point that it was making the house shake and move. Could that be an earthquake? hmm Then the next thing I saw was I was walking down a big city street, and the few people that were out there were standing right next to the buildings and looking up in absolute fear. They were hiding underneath the awnings and looking up into the sky, and I could not see anything in the dark sky, but I definitely sensed there was something up there, and it was ominous in that regard. I watched as people took off running, and I took off running too, and I kept looking up as I ran. I suddenly saw three large red dragons and they swooped down holding some kind of fabric in their talons. So I believe this is a fabrication. Uh, Satan is in the body of the seven-headed, ten-horned red dragon in Revelation 12. It's a corporate body that he's in they are members of his body he is a the deceiver of the whole world the bible says the three sects of them are part of the corporate body of deceivers in the mainstream media all three of them approached the people who were running and they threw the fabric over them Well, the fabric represents deception. They are using to veil the eyes of the people. By the way, they're passing on their demons of faction and witchcraft through these lies, through this slander, through the things that they say. We know that because the same thing has happened to us, to come against us. Ah. This could well be the mainstream media twisting everything in the deep deep state's favor. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled in them that perish, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God should not dawn upon them. So all three dragons by themselves were throwing fabric on these people and on to me. It looked like the fabric was alive. It had energy and it was moving. Well it's demonic. Slander is demonic. The slanderer will I destroy, the Lord says. And he has. And when they dropped the fabric on these people, it seemed to tie them to the ground. And I watched as about ten more people were tied to the ground the same way. Well, the people are being bound by the Satanist lies through the mainstream media and falling under the curse on this world through the loss of faith and unbelief. They became earthly and have no heavenly power through their fear. And then, looking up, I saw that there were more red dragons huddled together in the skies as if literally uh, they were conversing. Well, in the skies, I believe, is talking about the airwaves, right? The, The media's Operation Mockingbird gives them total agreement because they are ruled by the CIA. They flapped their wings rapidly and aggressively, and one was directing their attention to the earth. Only when our eyes are on the heavenly Savior do we have power to dwell in heavenly places in Christ. I reached into my pocket, and I grabbed a bottle of oil. And I believe this is representing the Holy Spirit anointing, which reveals all truth and destroys the lies. And I ran to the people that had been tied down, and I poured oil on the fabric. The dragons had dropped onto the people. The fabric began to move like it was in pain. It was writhing. It was moving and shifting. And it started to let the people go. And it flew off of them, literally. I remember laying hands on a woman who had um, brain cancer. And literally her top of her skull was deteriorated. Uh, And when I laid hands on her to command this spirit of death and this spirit of cancer off of her, it was moving around under my hand like trying to get out from under my hand, it moved, her whole skull was like mush and it was moving like it was an animal trying to get away, that's what this reminded me of. The fabric didn't have wings but it just kind of flew off of them like it had been rebuked (laughs) Well, you rebuke demons, don't you? And they do leave when you have faith, right? So being set free from bondage is what this probably represents uh, to demon spirits that use fear and anxiety and all the garbage that the mainstream media throws at you to pervert your, your thinking and to let demons have authority over you. And then I ran from person to person pouring the oil on the people who were still held down. The anointing of the Holy Spirit Gospels will set the captives free. We have the oil. We have to use it. The dragons in the sky all screamed. They hissed mercilessly. And then they headed back to the area. The people scattered. They ran and opened doors into some of the buildings and people were breaking windows to get into businesses to stay safe from these dragons. At this point, though, the dragons turned into military style aircraft. Well, who do, who controls the mainstream media and who controls the leftist military? Yes. And I saw them fly, one over the west coast, one over the Midwest, and one flew over the east coast. This is the exact places where the fault lines are going to let go, because they've been prepared to let go by the deep state. All three dragons dropped what appeared to be missiles. They looked like missiles to me being dropped from military aircraft heading towards the ground in those three places. Well, um, missiles are not dropped, okay? This is ground-penetrating bombs that are shaped like missiles that go off deep underground like they have used in our fault line east of us according to witnesses, who saw bombs hitting the ground, going into the ground, and a flame briefly coming out behind where the bomb went in um, after it blew deep, deep underground. Uh, And they saw them going down the fault line where we knew the fault line was, And two people were standing on the mountain watching the whole story as they came back later with helicopters, probably GPS, to see how much movement they got in the fault line. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they've been preparing the faults to go. The Deep State Dragons military have prepared the domino effect of earthquakes in fault zones In these three exact places. And we just shared in this series. But uh, I doubt Dana knew of these revelations. So his revelation fits very well there. They landed with a hard impact and a boom. But they did not explode in the places where they were dropped. In other words, they didn't explode above the ground because they explode deep underground to move the faults. So it was almost like an impact tremor. There you go. From when these things hit the ground and it was harsh and it was firm. Well, these harsh tremors will literally tear the country apart. They He said, went on to say they did not explode, in other words, above ground, but the boom was heard. Uh Uh-huh. So that's exactly what was seen, you know, east of us on a fault line, east of our valley here. And then I saw crops begin to die in the Midwest, and I saw farmland for sale at less than $100 per acre. Well, I believe this is some points to some success by the alliance here and by Trump and the people with him. Bill Gates, or his actor, uh, bought up this farmland to starve the people, but I believe his ill-gotten gain will be given back by executive orders. We'll see. But it has to go back into the hands of the farmers. And I'm sure there is a plan to do that. I saw people leaving their homes in the West with suitcases in hand, and they were walking towards retail businesses like Walmart stores or box stores. Well, guess what? They are closing Walmart stores in record numbers now. I wonder if they're getting prepared. Uh, these stores had been converted into apartments, in other words, people displaced from their homes for different reasons of this invasion, um, and the apartments were not very large at all. The people were being served food bags when they walked in, and they were given directions where to go. And after the thousands of people were in these buildings, an alarm sounded and an electric fence came up from the ground and it surrounded the facility. So this is another FEMA trap to depopulate during martial law. So stay home and pray and trust in God. That's the warning here. The one stark thing that stands out that I saw in the dream was that the security and the leaders were all on the outside of the facility, and now they were heavily armed and they had not been as they had not been that way when the people were going into the building. In other words, they wanted them to feel safe, and then suddenly they sprung the trap. So on the East Coast, I saw a museum, and it was a museum of fiat currency from around the world. That's highlighting that the dollar was gone, he said. Well, it is a digital currency that is taking over, and a new dollar backed by gold and precious metals is on the way and in some places already stationed. Um, Wall Street was totally empty, and the starting bell, which is always hit that triggered when the markets open, looked like it was part of a statue, but it really was more like on a pole. The bell was on this pole, and it was up high enough that no one was ever going to be able to reach the bell at the top to hit it. In other words, there will be no stock market. The stock market will be over. But this uh, square where this bell was on top of that pole or statue was littered with trash, and there were people sleeping on the streets. Burn barrels were keeping people warm, and they were burning boxes of American flags. So the the God and Country movement suffered a setback. Uh, anyway, people will turn against the God and Country folks with the help of the mainstream media. So they think they're going to take them completely down, but i got a feeling that it isn't going to happen completely. They were throwing uh, those boxes into the fire, and they were shaking their fists in the air. In other words, angry at God, which justifies his actions against them, right? They were also thanking the dragons for exposing the true nature of America. So a lot of people obviously were taken down by the mainstream media, just as we read earlier. Um, and and taken into the the demonic stage, uh, which we have known about for years. When people uh, listen to slander, it imparts demons of faction and witchcraft into them. We saw this happening in the political world, and we knew exactly what it was because we are experienced with these. And I saw the dragons were flying over their respective areas, the west, the midwest, and the east. There it is. And they were watching closely, just like those people were with the helicopters, looking closely to see what they had done, you know. And as we have seen, they are expecting those earthquakes in those exact areas to depopulate and distract from their evils. Then I was back at the end of the road uh, with the man standing right next to the cliff. He told me to kick the can as hard as I could. I took a few steps back and he faced me with his hands in the air like a referee does signaling a touchdown. Well, notice that he signaled the touchdown before he kicked the can. The man's arms went straight up like field goal poles, making a goal for me to kick the can over. So, according to this, we have won before we started, because Christ won against the curse on us by grace at the cross. But few know that. That's why they have to believe the lies of the dragon, right? that few know that the gospel must get out. So this is just like my revelation of the impossible pass of grace to make a touchdown. I didn't know anything about his revelation and he didn't know about mine, I'm sure. So not knowing of this revelation, a few days ago I had a a very vivid dream that finished with an open vision. In the dream, I saw a quarterback on one side of the football field. He was way too far from the end zone, but the clock was running down, and they were about to lose the game. (laughs) Could be the situation we're reading about right here, you know, what we're studying in this Revelation Um, in the end zone was a receiver who saw this as hopeless and he put his hands over his face and was shaking his head because it was impossible for the ball to reach him. The quarterback reared back and let go with what people used to call a Hail Mary pass. (laughs) They figured it couldn't make it so a a, a prayer wouldn't hurt, right? (laughs) Well, this is where I woke up at this particular point when he reared back to throw this pass. This is where I woke up and the dream turned into an open vision. And I saw the ball land On the back of the receiver's hands and stick there. The receiver looked over his hands at the ball with a wide eyed look of shock. So they won an impossible win. And the first thing that came to me after I came out of the vision was that was total grace, unmerited favor. And they wouldn't have won any other way. Isn't it showing that God is going to put us through an impossible situation and that we can only win by grace through faith? And that's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, right? The back of the hands is not where you do your works, Here's the problem. Men's works, they always trust in their own works. That's what the wilderness is all about. It's giving up your works to see God do miracles because you believe what he promises, right? So who can catch a ball there on the back of your hands, right? Impossible, right? So back to Dana's revelation here. So I took a few steps back and I ran towards the can, and I kicked it. It soared right between his arms. He just watched the can go through his hands, and then he turned as it went over the cliff. Uh Uh-oh. Is grace lost? Well, let's see. I walked up beside him and I realized that the cliff had no bottom to it and the can was still dropping into the darkness. He just watched it continue to fall. Let me say something about this crevasse that he's talking about here. Um, it's how the new Madrid fault opened up in a major gap in the earth, making what looked like two separate countries in the previous revelation. Grace appeared to be lost, but this is the time of the man-child reformer's appearance with great grace. Amen. In the time of Jesus, he came, there was a lot of misery, a lot of trouble, a lot of lack of grace, but he gave grace everywhere. And you see, what we've learned in the past is that the time of the New Madrid breaking the country in half um, is the time of the coming of the man-child ministry. And then he spoke, and he said this, The world is at the end of the road as they know it, and the reality they deny, which is the true gospel, is going to hit the bottom hard and shock those that don't know. You who are witnesses of mine have but moments because the can has no more road to be kicked down. So it's not a kicking it into the future. Now is the time. That's what he's saying. It's now. We can't kick it into the future any longer. The gospel must go out into the darkness. It's time. The man-childs of our day will begin the revival of the latter rain as Jesus, the man-child, did the former rain. So, again, the man speaking, Focus and reach and lean on my spirit. Stay filled with the fire and know my word and fortify yourselves with it and in it. The sky is falling, but you must help catch those who are falling with it. I am coming quickly, so stay on the road and bring others with you. I suddenly heard the can hit the bottom. The sky went dark and clouds rolled in and thunder started rolling up from where the can had gone over the cliff. In other words, an earthquake. I'm seeing all the things in the air, but the thunder was coming up from where the can had gone over the cliff. Yeah, the earthquake. So this crevasse is like the one in uh, the earthquake made at the New Madrid. And then a huge lightning strike revealed the landscape with fields of harvest. Okay, Fields of Harvest is a pretty good subject here because that's what it's going to bring. But the lightning strike is interesting too because that seems to be something that was in history. This huge lightning strike could come from the flyby of Planet X. A major cause of the quakes is Planet X, so it's not unusual to find it here showing up again. So after the judgments, the greatest harvest of souls will come when the man-child ministry is anointed. Jesus started the harvest in his day, and uh, the man-child will start it in this day. Jesus started the um, revival in his day, and the man childs going to start it in this day. And this, this great trouble, this great troubling time is what's going to cause people to... No, they need God. And I saw parked tractors and parked combines, and I yelled out that I need some help over here because those fields of harvest weren't going to be taken care of with parked tractors and combines. Yeah, well, there isn't much of a harvest out there, and they designed it that way in the physical because they wanted to kill off people. But the harvest that's going to come is the most important harvest. It's the harvest of souls. And I yelled out, I need some help over here. And I saw people one by one begin to come. And that's when I woke up. Well, when Jesus, the man-child, came, the revival harvest began. And so it will be this time. He woke up. And many others need to wake up. And it's time to tell your neighbors what's coming and get them prepared and let them know there's one thing that's going to save them, grace. The grace is going to save them. Repent and get the grace out. In Jesus' name. All right, saints. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, Michael Hare's coming. And he's going to share a word with you. And uh, Father, we ask you to bless them. In Jesus' name, pour out your spirit. We thank you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: Well, thank you, Brother David. And God bless you. Hello, saints. It's good to... Be back with you again on this wonderful day. Let's go to the Lord. Father God, I praise you and I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in us, for what you're teaching us, and for what you're showing us needs to be done. And I thank you, Lord, for this world's greatest untapped resource called prayer. And I thank you, Father, for anointing us today to get out this message, this, this important message about prayer. And I praise you, Father, for your anointing upon us. In Jesus' name. That's what I want to talk about today is uh, this, I call it the world's greatest untapped resource. You know, prayer is not something that you just think and talk about because prayer is something you do. God's power made available to mankind a great resource. But, you know, for the most part, prayer is not properly used, not properly exploited. Well, why is that? I think because there is such a a, a mystique, a secret that seems to have placed effective prayer beyond the reach of most believers. But the power resources of prayer are attainable. You can get them. Prayer is a force to be used. It's a tool to be utilized. It's a mighty weapon to be deployed. And this becomes clearer and plain if you'll read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. It says it. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Folks, that's what prayer will teach you to do. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And one little, little fact God desires to make plain is that it is possible to stand against the tricks of the devil, the enemy. But to do so... You have to learn the secrets of prayer. Second Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4 says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they're mighty before God to the casting down of strongholds. Folks, our weapons aren't physical or mental. They are spiritual. And one of the best of our weapons is prayer. You know, the earth is uh, got all kinds of untapped natural resources. There's oil fields out there, yet undiscovered and untapped that are tremendously big. And the potential power in that oil, I'm telling you, listen, does no good until it's discovered and brought to, to the surface. Untapped diamond fields and rich veins of gold represents almost unlimited purchasing power. Prayer, folks, listen. Prayer is an infinitely more effective energy source than oil or diamonds or money. It is the key to the greatest supply of untapped power in the universe. But for the most part, that resource of strength and power is not being used. One uh, On more than one occasion, Jesus' disciples witnessed a demonstration of prayer power. Look at Acts chapter 4, and verse 31. And when they, that's the disciples, had prayed, the place was shaken, wherein they were gathered together, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spake the word of God with boldness. Now, here's the conditions. The believers assembled together. They were all together and prayed. They all prayed. Here's the results of what happened. The place was shaken. They were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Then they spoke the word of God, not with any kind of backwardness, nor fear, but with great boldness. First they prayed, then the power came. Now, if we can get the church as a whole in our land to reach out to God through prayer, we're going to discover resources of strength, blessing, anointing, goodness, and mercies that we'd never dreamed about and if we can convince the world that it is prayer time in our land, the results will be an anointing of power that hadn't been known before. There are battles that can be won only. When we pray, victories, even over demonic forces, can be ours through prayer. Effective prayer is truly a secret to most Christians. Prayer for the majority of believers amounts to only do. Good morning, Jesus. We thank you for the food. Thank you for this great day you've given us. Good night, Lord. All done in two minutes or less. That ain't what I'm talking about. What I'm suggesting that we use prayer as it was designed and intended as a tremendous force, a terrible weapon against the enemy. I'm talking about prayer that can bring about a world-changing influence. And when it's truly understood and faithfully used, prayer is the greatest source of untapped energy that the world has ever known. And to bring about such prayer requires a change in our thinking and in our praying habits. And such prayer among the people of God can change the church of Jesus Christ all around the world. It don't make any difference if you're in the United States or in South Africa or in Australia or in South America or in Canada, wherever you are, whoever you are. I can tell you that by your prayers, you can receive and set into motion the power of God. And only through prayer is this possible. You know, Cornelius learned this when he prayed. In Acts chapter 10, verse 2, Cornelius was a devout man and one that feared God with all his house. Listen, praying together as a family multiplies your prayer power. God tells us in Deuteronomy 32.30 that one can chase a thousand and two can put ten thousand to flight. As Cornelius learned, when you unite your home in prayer, you become like an army ready for battle, glory to God. Prayer can change a person and it can also change your entire family. You remember when Cornelius and his family prayed unitedly, all together, God performed miracles. God sent for Peter, who was 100 miles away in the city of Joppa. Peter came and preached to Cornelius, resulting in that man's entire family receiving the healing, and healing of the Holy Spirit. And those things didn't happen haphazardly. They came about through prayer. And just as prayer changed Cornelius' life, and the lives of his family? Prayer can change your life and the lives of those around you. By learning the secrets of prayer as Cornelius did, you could also be remembered as a person who changed this world and the world to come. Prayer is that powerful. It is. It has the power of God behind it. You can help others by your prayers. The Apostle Paul spoke of this, the mission of prayer in Second Corinthians 1 and 11. It says this, ye also helping together on our behalf by your supplication that for the gift bestowed upon us by means of many, thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf. You see, you can become a prayer partner. You can join with others and become a means of helping together in prayer. Cornelius helped his family through prayer. You can do the same. You can bless others. You can help missionaries. You can help your, your, your leader there in your fellowship and the people of your fellowship. You can help the people in your community and your government. All of this and a whole lot more can be accomplished through your unselfish praying. You can literally release prisoners by praying. Remember when Herod imprisoned Peter, Acts chapter 12 and verse 5? Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made earnestly of the church unto God for him. Listen to what I said. Prayer was made earnestly of the church unto God for him. And what happened? God responded by sending an angel to release Peter. That's the kind of power that's still available to God's people through their prayers. That's the same power that you and your prayer group can have. Prayer can bring healing. Prayer with faith is a mighty tool. God has given us for physical healing. The Old Testament has a lot of illustrations of God's healing power. For example, Naaman, the great Syrian soldier, was cured of leprosy. Over in 2 Kings 5, 1-14, Hezekiah, king of Judah, prayed to God on his deathbed. And what happened? The Lord granted him 15 more years of life over in Second Kings chapter 20. The New Testament prov- uh, provides even more evidence of God's healing power. And the Gospels are full of Jesus' healing miracles. You know, the miracles of healing did not stop with Jesus' return to heaven either. Because the book of Acts is full of them too. And what most people don't realize is such healings are a part of the fulfillment of the Great Commission. In that famous command, Jesus said in Mark sixteen fifteen through 18, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to the whole creation. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that disbelieves shall be condemned. And these signs shall accompany them that believe. In my name shall they cast out demons. They shall speak with new tongues, and they shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall in no wise hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. You know, the most exciting part of all this for us today is that God can still heal. And he's willing to do so in response to our prayers. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 14 and verse 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believes on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto the Father. Now in the area of healing, there's this passage in James chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. It says, it, Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save him that is sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, it shall be forgiven him. Well, I know from experience, my own experience, that God continues to heal in response to prayer, offered in faith. I've seen it happen in my own life. And in my ministry over the years, I've seen hundreds healed through prayer. And as a result of these experiences, coupled with the teaching of God's Word, I know that divine healing is both available and effective. Well, in whose name should we pray? Well, God's word answers this question for us. Jesus said over in John chapter 14 and verse 13, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That means that the scope of our praying is as limitless as the name of Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't have any limitations. He doesn't have any horizons whatsoever. The breadth, the extent of our prayer is as large as our asking. God expects us to reach out to the farthest horizons we can imagine. And to use all the strength and all the power that he has made available to us. All of it in Jesus' name. So, you can see here, prayer is not just reciting of words. Prayer is a relationship with God and with Jesus, his son. Prayer is the speaking of loving words, a love lyric to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Prayer is a personal connection with God. Prayer is alive. Prayer is inspiring. Prayer is powerful, energizing, dynamic. And prayer revitalizes the one who prays. But prayer is not just spiritual recreation. And as we said earlier, prayer is doing battle with the invisible forces of darkness. (coughs) No man ever prayed without learning something. Ralph Waldo Emerson said that. And he was right. You learn about yourself when you pray. You learn about your fellow man when you pray. And you learn about God when you pray. How many of us you know that prayer should be our way of life? A life that is planned and developed by prayer becomes a great life. Prayer puts an indelible stamp upon every thought, every action, of the one who makes it a vital part of his life. The inevitable result of making a prayer a way of life is the change of one's very being, the reshaping of his personality into the shape of God Almighty. And the power of prayer is as real as the unseen, but also very real, earthly gravity the force with which everyone contends every hour of the day. No one can deny the existence or power of that force. Prayer is a sort of spiritual gravity, spiritual magnetism. Even as a magnet draws iron particles to itself, so God God draws people to himself. And when? Through the dynamics of prayer, we turn to God. We find that he responds to us as we respond to him. The power of prayer is nothing short of amazing. It's the only power in the universe that seems to overcome the so-called laws of nature. Because prayer is invincible. It cannot be subdued. Nobody can hinder or prevent the operation of prayer power. Rulers of great nations have had their laws and decrees defied and altered by prayer. The evil leaders in Babylonian that influenced King Darius to defy the power of prayer by casting Daniel into the lion's den. Over in Daniel chapter 6 verses 10 through 23. What happened? Daniel was unharmed, living proof of that invincible power of our prayers. In Esther chapter 7 and verse 10, wicked Haman learned too late that the invincible power of prayer will take you down. His clever manipulation served only to hang him on his own gallows, the one he built for his enemy. And folks, I'm going to tell you something. It's always been that way. Prayer can destroy enemy powers and evil forces. And prayer can build the kingdom of God, Lord of God. That's always been God's intent. Prayer operates in the lives of those who have provided God with clean, righteous vessels in which his Holy Spirit dwells, in which egotism and self-sufficiency have been done away with. They have been eradicated. And it is in such lives in which material things have faded and the spiritual life is in proper focus that God chooses to display his unlimited power. Evil, self-aggrandizing forces rule the world we live in. Political and economic forces Power-hungry forces that are humanly irresistible, immovable, indomitable, insurmountable, impregnable, unconquerable, and unyielding. Yet all, every one of these forces are but paper tigers in the face of an anointed prayer. Before World War II, France believed this Maginot line invincible what happened germany proved it wrong by just going around the ends of it (laughs) germany believed this in its blitzkrieg uh manner of warfare was invincible yet it was to learn that its best would succumb to a superior force our enemy believes himself to be invincible the devil does yet when you and i discover the secrets of and appropriate the inestimable superior powers of prayer, the truly invincible whole armor of God, in Ephesians chapter 6 and 13, the defensive and offensive glories of prayer, we will move into prayer against the enemies of God, the enemies of righteousness, with an assurance, with a joyous abandon, and with an effectiveness we have never known. And when faced with such divine power, all earthly powers are subject to defeat. All earthly powers don't make any difference whether it's political, economic, or military. They're all subject to the power of prayer. And prayer has no equal. The power of prayer does not change. It stands when all other powers fail. Would systems, world systems change? Ideologies change, balances of world power changes, balances of economics change. But the power of prayer that is available to us, the power that streams from the Almighty God, the maker of heaven and earth, will never fail. It cannot be defeated. And my friend, the secrets of prayer can be yours too. And when you discover them, they will fill you with living energy. You will indeed be able to mount up with wings like eagles and not faint, as it talks about in Isaiah 40, verse 31. Jesus, in Luke 18 and 1, he said this, that he spake a parable unto them to the end that they are always to pray and not to faint. In this scripture here, Jesus exhorted the people to pray. No matter what the need, no matter what the problem was, no matter what the sorrow was, he advised them to persevere until the answer came. Jesus himself advocated prayer. But what did he mean? Well, when all is said and done, what is prayer? What does that word prayer mean? And if we are to understand the secrets of prayer, we have to first understand what prayer is. The prayer, prayer is the turning of the human soul to the living God. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. David declares Psalms 25 verse 1. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. And in its initial aspects, prayer is the turning of the human personality, the human mind, upward toward God. There might be times of prayer when the lips don't utter a thing. Prayer can be an inward thought, and that depends on the circumstances. This reaching out to God might amount to a painful wrenching of the heart, an inarticulate moan or groan. And God will accept inner or all of these as prayer. When one truly prays, he doesn't lift up his heart to saints, to denominations, or to people, but to the Almighty God. Prayer is the turning of the immortal spirit of man toward the mighty creator of the universe. So prayer then is communion with God. Psalm 65 and 2, O thou that hears prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. Prayer is a communing between your spirit and the great spirit of the universe, which is the living God. Adam communed with God, Genesis 3 and 8, in the cool of the day, over in the Garden of Eden. The two of them communicated with each other. Now, fellowship is another word for communing or communication. When you are in fellowship with another person, you're keeping those lines of communication open. So, prayers relating to and communing with God. When you are in a position to commune with God, you don't fear Him. You don't approach Him to accuse Him, but to love Him through fellowship with Him. This communion this communication, this fellowship with God is prayer. Prayer is a heart study because in prayer, your heart is revealed to you as God sees it. Prayer is a school in which we learn truth that's not available anywhere else. When I don't have the answer to a problem or an issue which which comes up, Instead of wasting a lot of time about worrying or or thinking about it, I pray. And as I pray, God reveals to me the decision or the answer to the situation that I need. Often God reveals himself to me as I pray. How many of you uh, have said something to somebody about a matter And you might think that what you said was all right. But as you pray, the Lord might come back to you. You spoke a little harshly to him. Your voice carried an edge to it. Because you were too upset inside. And it showed you ought to go back and ask forgiveness of that person. And if God doesn't reveal that incident to me, I might not do anything about it. But when God showed me my heart, my attitude... I could go immediately and and ask that person's forgiveness. It could be your wife. It could be your best friend. It could be anybody. Now, prayer is an intensive desire to see something happen or come to pass. It may be a desire that God has placed within you. That's what the Word of God tells us, Romans 8 26. And in like manner, the spirit also helps our infirmity. For we know not how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And that's beautiful, isn't it? The Spirit, God's own Spirit, the Holy Spirit is interceding for us, for me, for you, for all of us. And if you're looking for the will of God, you can find it in prayer, even when you may not be able to find it in thought. But by the intensive desire of the Spirit within you, Reaching up to the mighty spirit of God, his will can be made plain to you. You know, uh, all the ships and all the airplanes, they carry compasses. And that's uh, a real vital piece of navigational equipment for both of them. And among their several functions, compasses enable pilots and navigators to know their direction of travel, and to pinpoint their exact position at any time. Now, prayer is to the Christian what a compass is to a navigator. Prayer will pinpoint our spiritual integrity and show us our weaknesses. Prayer will clarify our positional relationship with God. Even as a compass points a navigator to the North Pole, Prayer always points us to our Heavenly Father. And prayer is the most powerful force in the universe. And when a Christian begins to realize the importance, the wonder, the excitement, and the effectiveness of prayer, he will no more divest himself of your regular daily prayer than a navigator would set out on a flight or a trip without his compass. Prayer is working with God. And through the divine medium of prayer, we can reach right out of our human element to God himself. And this truth is implicit in the prophet Isaiah's words in Isaiah 59 and 16. And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation unto him and his righteousness. It upheld him. God was seeking an intercessor to pray. God's still seeking intercessors, men and women, as well as youth, who will commit themselves to intercessory prayer. That means that you and I are prospects for this critically important work of God, the work of interceding for God's people. And it's real exciting to realize that you and I can actually share in the work God is doing in our world. Uh, Listen, if you are elderly and you can't get out much, you can still be an integral part of God's kingdom. By accepting this opportunity, you can proudly say, I am God's personal assistant. I assist God through my prayers. And the prophet spoke of God's cries in Isaiah 63 and 5. And I looked and there was none to help, and I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation unto me, and my wrath, it upheld me. God sought men to uphold, to stand for him, to stand with him, to be intercessors, but there was no one to uphold. Not only do you and I need prayer in our own behalf, but we have an obligation to pray for God's work in the world. And that is to pray in his behalf. You and I are God's hands. We are his voice. We are his witnesses. We are his intercessors. So when we pray, we're working with God. Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30 says, And I sought for a man among them that should build up the wall and stand in the gap for me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none." Here again, God needed somebody to stand in the gap, somebody to pray, but apparently he sought in vain. There was nobody to labor with him. And I know something how he felt. There have been times in my life when I was faced with some gigantic thing to perform, something that was greater than I could handle or I even knew about, and I looked around for somebody to stand with me, beside me. But sometimes there seemed to be nobody, nobody at all. And at such times, I felt like I was standing alone against a whole battalion of enemy soldiers, That position should never come to a Christian. God tells us to pray for one another. When we help a brother in prayer, we help God's cause because we are standing with God against the enemy of our souls. So join with me in telling God, Lord, you won't ever have to stand alone again, glory to God. I'll stand in the gap with you. Praise God forevermore. Well, prayer is divine reverence. And if we're to be effective in our prayer, we have to come before our Father in divine reverence. In today's world, it seems that irreverence is the order of the day. We see we see this irreverence for our country, for the flag of the United States, for our leader, even for God himself. And if we are to become mighty in prayer, we can't allow a spirit of irreverence to overtake us. Jesus said over in John chapter 4 and verse 23, But the hour comes, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such doth the Father seek to be his worshippers. And in order to pray effectively, one must worship the Father in spirit and truth. One must have the right spirit when he prays, and that right spirit must be one of respect and honor and deep reverence. All of the great men and women of prayer I have ever known or read about have been those with whom prayer was a serious business. There wasn't any frivolity, no lightness, no joking about this matter of approaching the king of the universe. And if you desire to learn the secrets of prayer and become a man or woman of prayer, we must learn to reverence the one to whom you direct your petitions. Prayer is divine obedience. And before you do anything else, pause and ask yourself, do I harbor a spirit of disobedience within me? Are you in a spirit of rebellion against your parents? Are you in a spirit of disobedience toward God? Are you in rebellion against the laws of our land? And you have to ask yourself these questions because if you are in a state of rebellion, you can't receive from God what you desire. And the opposite is also true. Look at First John chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, we have boldness toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. In other words, obedience is related to success in prayer. And if we can't come before God in humble obedience to his divine will, which is expressed in his word, we can't expect to receive his miracles. First John chapter three and verse twenty three. And this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, even as he gave us commandment. (coughs) Excuse me. And if we are to see the manifestations of his power in our circumstances, we have to obey him. We have to come to the place where you will speak to him and say something like this, Lord. I'm being obedient to you in everything I know to do. And I want you to know that I'll do anything you want me to do. And when you make that equipment, you'll find yourself well on the way to get your prayers answered. Prayer is the power that unlocks God's treasures. Prayer is the key, the force, the energy, the power that unlocks heaven's treasures and makes them available on the earth. Some people need healing, but they don't pray for it. Why should I pray? God knows I need to be here. Well, that's true. God knows you need to be here, but he has given you the key that will unlock heaven's healing power for you. And that power is prayer. Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7, Ask and it shall be given you. Ask means pray. Need doesn't unlock God's treasures. Prayer does. Faith does. Intercession does. And if you'll come to God with the right spirit, using the right keys, you're going to see God move in your behalf as you've never seen him move before, glory to God. And prayer is the first step in knowing the Lord Jesus Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And the first step in knowing the Lord Jesus is meeting him and praying and saying to him, Lord Jesus, I am so sorry for my sin. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness and make me a child of the living God. And through that beginning, You get to know Jesus. You get to know God. You open and begin to receive the treasures of heaven. The whole transaction begins and continues through prayer. Prayer is very simple. Yet at the same time, it's very complex. Then I want you to know that I have outlined and described a few definitions of prayer. And I want you to understand them and then begin to pray according to God's word, and he'll give you the victory that you want. And the laws that govern prayer, the scriptures make it clear that praying is not just a hit or a miss. If a person is going to pray to be heard and to be answered, he has to follow certain guidelines. And Jesus outlined some of those guidelines for us in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, it says this, after this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It says, After this manner, Jesus said, Then he set up a proper formula for addressing our Father. And when we recognize that fact and pray in accordance with God's laws and rules concerning prayer, then we'll certainly learn how to pray effectively. The first law is the law of believing. Prayers of doubt and fear will not, deed cannot, and won't be strong prayer. That's true because the laws of faith that relate to prayer. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to be well-pleasing unto him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that seek after him. Well, that law states that you have to believe that God exists as a powerful, sovereign Lord. And this law further states that you must believe that God will answer you and is a rewarder when you pray. And if you can comply with both requirements, then you can pray. Father, I know you are all-powerful, and I know that you will respond to your children when they call upon you. We have the God who is God of everything. He made the whole earth, the entire universe. And so when we pray to the one who created everything, we know we are focusing our prayers upon the one with the ability to produce the needed results. And we can pray in the confident assurance that he possesses the power to meet any need. And so when we have confidence in him, our prayers to him in Jesus' name aren't going to be in vain. They're going to be answered. When Elijah confronted the 450 false priests of Baal upon Mount Carmel, he proposed a test, didn't he? The priests of Baal were to go out there and prepare an altar of sacrifice just like Elijah was going to do. Then each one of them was going to pray. Elijah challenged the Baalite priest to call ye on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God that answers by fire, let him be God. That's in 1 Kings 18.24. Let me say it again. And call ye on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God that answers by fire, let him be God. Well, the Baalite's idol failed to answer them. And what happened to Elijah's God? He answered his prayer by sending fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice. And if you have been born again, you have already experienced a miracle in prayer. And you can say, I know God answers prayer because he saved my soul when I prayed. And he delivered me from my sinful habits. Knowing the miraculous power of God in your life enables you to pray with the covenant intensity that will make your prayers effective. Insincere people don't get their prayers answered because they are living a lie. The heathen can't get their prayers answered. I have watched the heathen worship in a haphazard manner that indicates insincerity. Even if they knew who God was, they couldn't receive from him From him, because their lives are built on the shifting sands of lies, falsehoods, artificiality, and deceit. When one prays sincerely, all facades are stripped away. All deceit is gone. And the heart is laid open before God in total sincerity, with an open spirit, with all hatred gone. There is no other way to approach our God of love. He loves the whole world, and he will forgive the whole world if only it will come to him in sincerity. And the law of sincerity is anyone in a place of total sincerity before God will discover a blessedness beyond anything he had hitherto dreamed. But there is a cost involved. The cost of commitment, of time, and a minute of, uh, a minute of prayer here and a minute there, not praying tonight, if I feel like it, they're forgetting to pray tomorrow, is not done in sincerity. And God can't do great things in the life of such a person. But when the set laws of praying are discovered, practiced, and adhered to, the results will change your life. And the time to begin praying is not when you're in trouble, as so many people do. We call that foxhole praying. If you pray when things are right, God will come to your rescue when you're in trouble. I guarantee it. Daniel prayed for three weeks to receive the understanding of a vision before the answer came. Three weeks. Would he have received the answer if he stopped on the 15th day or even the 20th day? No, but he stuck with it. He prayed until the answer came. He persevered. And then let's take Elijah. He prayed for rain on Mount Carmel. He prayed seven times. And every time he sent a servant to see if there were signs of rain. And when the servant came back the first time, he said, there ain't nothing there. And seven times Elijah said, go again. First Kings 18, 43. What if he had stopped it four times, or five times, or even six times? There wouldn't have been no rain. And that drought would have continued till today, I expect. (laughs) Some say this, but Elijah was different. Elijah was a prophet. I can't expect the same victories as Elijah. Well, what does the Bible say about that? James chapter 5, verses 17 through 18. Elijah was a man of like passions with us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. You see, Elijah was a man of flesh and blood, just like you and me. But Elijah knew the law of perseverance, and he held on until the victory came, total blessed victory. And I'll even venture to say that Elijah may have gotten tired of praying those five, six, or seven times. He probably didn't even feel like praying. Most people pray only when they feel like it. But that ain't the time to pray. You don't pray by feeling, but according to needs. You pray when you know in your spirit it's time to pray. Even if in your body you don't feel like praying, that's when you persist in prayer and your needs are met. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were in trouble because of their wickedness. And God was making plans to destroy them. Abraham interceded for the cities and incidentally for his nephew Lot. Genesis 18.24 Peradventure adventure, there are fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou consume and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sake. And then Abraham asked again, suppose there were five less than fifty in Genesis eighteen twenty eight. God said, If I find there forty five, I will not destroy it Genesis eighteen twenty eight. Abraham interceded with God until he agreed not to destroy the city if there were as few as ten righteous to be found there. Abraham was persistent in prayer. Have you ever wondered why Abraham stopped with the number ten? Abraham knew that there were ten members in Lot's family, and he thought these ten were righteous. Abraham hadn't followed for the fact that lost children had intermarried with the sodomites and become sinners and mockers of God. And even though Abraham saw by the smoke rising over Sodom the next morning that God had destroyed the city, he realized that it could only have happened because God had not found ten righteous people in the city. Abraham persisted in prayer, and God had responded. The law of humility. There are undoubtedly times and places when pride is in order, but not when one prays. Prayer is not going to be effective unless one approaches the Almighty in humility. Too many people pray because they have a need, because they have met with some problem or deficiency in themselves, their family, their community, and their world. And when this realization comes, that person must reach outside of himself to a higher force or greater energy. So he reaches up to God and says, Father, I need your help. And a self-sufficient person will find it difficult to uh, to pray because he was told by himself and others, I can take care of it myself. I don't need nobody. I don't need God. And I can tell you, that person right there is not going to receive anything from God. But there is another kind of pride that prevents answers to prayers, and this is a self-righteous person. Have you ever heard anyone pray, Lord, I have lived for you 40 years. I taught Sunday school in my church. I've been a deacon. I've given a whole bunch of money to this church. And on the basis of his service record, he expects to receive blessings from God. God cannot hear the prayers of pride-filled persons. Prayers that are answered come from those who humble themselves before God. God says in 2 Chronicles 7 and 14, If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, shall humble themselves and pray, because those who pray in humility are going to receive from God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The one who comes to God with praise will receive from God. The ones who admit their need for God and his help will receive from him. And the truly humble are those who turn to God In the good times, as well as the bad. Those are the people who touch God's loving heart. And they're the ones who are going to receive from him. Well, folks, I hope this has blessed you. I hope this turns you to intercessory prayer in a new and better way. And I pray that, Father, in the name of Jesus, that there are many out there today who listens to this that will turn to you and intercede on a daily basis for the people around them for this ministry and the ministries of others out there that are doing the work that you've called them to do, Lord, and I thank you for it. And I thank you, Lord, uh, that there will be people who, who do this, and I pray, Father God, that you place it in their hearts to start this moment to start praying for the people around them, their families and such, and I thank you for it, Father, that they find a place that they can pray without interruption for the time allotted that they need. And I thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. All right, saints, that's all the time we got today. God bless you. We'll see you again next time, God willing. I can quench my thirsting soul. Pure as
0: water made me whole. Let your streams of mercy flow. Oh, Jesus, I trust in you. Oh, the mountains fall into the sea. Though the rivers rise, I still believe. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true. Oh, Jesus, I trust in. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, O oh, Jesus, my Lord Jesus.